Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Caleb Davidson. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. All right, let's, let's do a word today. You guys with me? 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to call this one Getting Things Up and Running. Getting Things Up and Running. I don't know why I'm going to call it that. I'm just going to call it that. Getting Things Up and Running. 1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, this is where we're going to take off. We're going to take off in verse 40, if you've got a Bible with you. Verse 40. I just got to actually find 1 Kings chapter 18. I guess I got it right here. I'm just going to read it right here. I actually I'd like it in my Bible, though. I really would. Don't judge me, people, okay? Are you all there already? Is it already on the screens? It is, isn't it? Yeah, I figured so. Uh, but I, I want it on here. All right. First Kings chapter 18. Verse 40, and Elijah said to everybody, this is following, um, you guys are familiar with, with the prophet Elijah in the Bible. He's basically one of the most famous prophets that lived in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself kind of, uh, he kind of represents all of the prophets of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. There's Moses and the prophets. So Moses represents the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And Elijah, um, symbolically, would kind of represent the rest of the books, the prophets. So when they said the law and the prophets, oftentimes uh, it would represent Moses and Elijah. As a matter of fact, in the Mount Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, who was it that came and spoke to Jesus? But Moses and Elijah, representing all of the Old Covenant, all of the books of the Old Testament. And they were basically saying that while the Old Testament has brought you this far, now follow Jesus. Because the Moses and Elijah were all pointing toward him. So, hey, disciples, hear him, remember? And so this is kind of the idea. And so Elijah is a very notorious prophet of the Old Testament. And what he was most known for was coming out of the blue, like a commercial, pretty much. Elijah the Tishbite came out of nowhere and quickly became known as Elijah the man of God. By 1 Kings 17, he's Elijah the Tishbite. For 1 Kings 18, he's Elijah the man of God in the eyes of the people. And he declared that it would not rain for three, well, it would not rain across the nation of Israel unless at his word. And the reason that, that such a, a declaration and a stance was taken on behalf of Elijah was because Israel had a king named Ahab who was married to a wicked witch from the wild west named Jezebel. If you are going to have children like Lisa, don't name your kid Jezebel. And if your name is Jezebel, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you later. But, uh, but the reality is, is that she was equally a notorious woman who was known for killing the prophets of God, the prophets of Israel. And what took place was uh, she actually introduced idolatry into uh, you know, the mix with Israel. And what happened is they started following other gods. Now, the, one of the, the gods that she introduced to the people of God was the prophet or the, the god named Baal, who was known as the rain god, the god of fertility as well. And so what's interesting is Elijah comes up and says, oh, you're going to serve the rain God, huh? Well, check it out. Because you're giving your heart to other things, the book of Deuteronomy told us that if we go after any idol idols and introduce idolatry, that God will cause the rain to cease and the ground to dry up. So I declare that verse. It was a written promise that he was declaring. 
and he declares it over the nation. And sure enough, he walks away, though, and he closes his whole statement in front of the nation by saying this, it will not rain because of the book of Deuteronomy. No, he says, unless at my word. <laughs> it's like one of those things you definitely walk away, go, away from going, God, back me up, man. Back me up. It's definitely one of those things because he probably just got intimidated like most preachers do because everything we declare of you is on the premise of perhaps the Lord will. You know what I'm saying? And so we're just believing in faith just like you are, but we seem confident. We seem full of, you know, you know, faith, but really in the inside, the conversation is going on, good God, you better come through for me, Lord, because I'm in front of all these people. I look ridiculous right now. This is pretty much that moment where he says, it will not rain unless at my word. It's like, what? I'm sure God looked at Gabriel's like, whoa, well, your word. I'm like I, I can play this out. Like I was, I feel like I was practically there because any great man or woman of faith who has been there knows how this goes down. And you know that God looked at Gabriel and was like, "All right then." I think it amused God. I think God found it like inspiring. I think God was like, "All right, check this one out. Like, your word. Well, all right. I thought I gave you my word, but all right, you declared my word, so I'll back you up." And so. He brings him into Kareth, and Kareth is this place where he, he hides him. Because in the process to any promise, there's a hidden stage in the process to a promise. I didn't know if you knew this. See, some of you think, I'm going to be the worship leader of the nations. Because some dude spoke that over you in a worship service. Or, or you felt God speak that to you in, you know, your bedroom as a kid when you were about to fall asleep at night. And God woke you up. Angel poked your side or something. It was this crazy encounter with God, you know. And he had this moment where you had this aspiration and filled your heart that I'm going to be the worship leader. And I just see this. I'm going to lead like worship with like Billy Graham. And so you had this thing, right? Uh, who knows what it is for you? Just want you to know that if your worship leading with Billy Graham is too late, but <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. I just I thought about that after I said it, and I was like, well, wait, that wouldn't work out really well, would it? You must have missed the Lord on that one. But here, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, that'll still work, okay? That'll still work. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, well, you're getting to know me. And uh, this is great. Um, here's my point. Is in the process, there's a hidden stage. And Kareth is actually really interesting. It means cutting. It even the same word that the, the Israelis, like a Jewish person would have used, a Hebrew would have used to explain cutting in a divorce, the cutting away of matrimonial bands. There is a cutting. And in the hidden, hidden seasons of life, it's amazing how God brings the scalpel out in the process to a promise and begins to cut you in just the right way. Not that he's some kind of masochist or something, but like he begins to cut things out of your life in those hidden seasons. Because isn't it funny how the hidden seasons cause all that stuff to come out? All the hidden agendas, all the, 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 the supplies that you rely on that aren't God, all your dependencies that don't source themselves out in God utterly and entirely, those are the things that the scalpel begins. It's all the lifelines and the hookups, these little lifelines that are hooked up. God just with the scissors of the Holy Spirit just goes clip, clip, and you're like, I thought I needed that woman by my side. Or if you're married, you're probably, that's true, so you should probably stay with that. But, uh, but I'm speaking more to the single ready to mingle phase here. Um, yeah, I just want to put that out there that I'm not saying that the Lord was going to clip that one out and say, you know, but... Uh, what about the lifeline of like thinking that it's a job and that's your employer, that's your, your, your providers type thing. God can begin to clip things and cut things out of your life and it can be painful. It can actually hurt a little. 
Because here's the thing is in that hidden season, God begins to make sure that you understand that if you're going to perform the miracles and if you're going to be used mightily by God, there is a hidden season where God wants to not just build the man in you, but equally get rid of the man out of you. He wants to make sure that the purity of heart that is required for you to walk into a greater ministry, the greater ministry that God has for you is going to be born in purity in the way that he, that'll reflect Christ in you. And so in the hidden stage, isn't it funny how all the wrong agendas come out? Well, why are I giving the microphone? It's like, oh, well, you know what your microphone is for the next nine months? That toilet brush. Go sing into that thing as you scrub that toilet. And I, recommend, I don't recommend singing into it. That's not a good idea, but you get what I'm saying. Is it's funny how God will give you the mop instead of the mic in the hidden seasons of life. And he'll say, serve your way into significance and allow the true heart of servanthood to lead you into greatness. See, servanthood is what you learn in, in secret. It's in the hidden stages of Kareth where God begins to cut you. And there's a cutting, but then there's equally a cleaving. I don't know if you knew this. When you're, it's like getting married, it's like there's a cutting away, there's a leaving behind and a cleaving, a cutting and a cleaving. There's a leaving and a cleaving that takes place. And the leaving is leaving behind all the sources that you rely upon that are not God. See, in the brook Carrot, that was a place that God miraculously decided to provide for Elijah. It was a place that God brought him and led him by the leading of his spirit to say, now come here in hiding because you just become an enemy to this state. You, you stood up against King Ahab and his wicked witch from the wild west, Jezebel, and you now just put a death warrant on your, on your, on your life. They want to kill you for the things that you've declared. You humiliated them. You, you, you basically called out leadership of sorts in a, in a way that left them kind of looking not so hot. And so... What they're, they don't exactly like you right now, so they're on a manhunt for you. And so he hides, and God hides him. And you understand, when God hides you in that hidden season, you've got to recognize that it's actually for your development. It's not to destroy you, it's to develop you. It, God is, is not going, uh, his delay is not his denial. Because the right thing at the wrong time will always be the wrong thing. And so this is about timing. It's about grooming you and growing you for the grace across your life. It's about God actually grooming you and growing you for the grace upon your life. And some of you find yourself in that hidden season where God is miraculously provided through a raven. A raven was an unclean bird to a Jewish person. And yet he uses unconventional ways to provide for you. And I know that some people here today at the sound of my voice, God has used unconventional ways in times to provide for you. And you need to get used to it and stop saying, well, no, I will not receive from that. Well, you got to understand, God is behind it. And so while it may look unclean, while it looked like dirty money, you know, in that sense, I'm not saying, you get what I'm trying to say. Please follow that just the proper way. I'm not saying, use drug money. No, I'm not saying that, okay? Please don't. Um, what I'm, trying to say is, is that God can provide for you in unconventional ways. And he provides a raven to drop off a happy meal every single day, morning and night. And he drinks out of this brook carrot and it dries up eventually because how many guys know Elijah prayed that there'd be no rain and if there ain't no rain, there ain't no more streams. Once the rain stops, it starts to dwindle down and dry up. And so Elijah finds himself in a transitional season where he's like shocked that the water ran out. 
And you can imagine, you'd be thinking to yourself, well, wait, and this is, this will preach really good. You're thinking, wait, why has this opportunity now gone to the wayside? Why has this dried up? It's, it was going, it was going, but now it's gone. And there's a struggle with times with endings, with the leaving. But God is trying to allow you to, he wants you to leave so that you will cleave. Cleave to who? Him. Look at the life of Jacob. When he was bouncing, he took out his leg. And so what did Jacob do? Grabbed the, the angel of the Lord by the scruff of the shirt and says, I will not let go. So in other words, he caused him to cleave. Because God wants you dependent on himself. And so he's going to create a scenario in the seasons and the circumstances of your life. Like if you don't create the need, he'll create one for you. And you can either make it and do it will, willingly or he'll do it for you. And it can be painfully. And it'll cause you to stay dependent. It'll cause you to stay on your knees and look up. It'll cause you to pray out to God and seek God. Because when you get too comfortable, you see, you get too complacent. And God wants to make sure that apathy dies. Hashtag die apathy die. And so my point is, is that in the hidden season, Elijah comes to a point where God dries up his miraculous supernatural provision in his life. And some of you find yourself hidden and you found that the supernatural provision in your life has come to an end. The thing that God once provided for you through unconventional and unusual ways has ended. And here's what you need to understand. The word of the Lord came to Elijah in that place and said, get up, rise up, and go to Zarephath. The word of the Lord is not to give up in that season. It's to get up, to stay standing. Because God, see, in a transition, I am in transition right now. I am moving house. I am in a, in a transitional season where I move from my old house and I'm moving into a new house, but I'm in between right now because my house is still being built. It's in the framing stage of being built. And I went yesterday and I got to see it, but right now my life is cluttered. It's living amongst boxes. I'm living with my in-laws because they're awesome, so I'm gonna call them ingraces, okay? And so, because they're anything but law-driven. And, and the truth is, is that I find my, you like that? Some of you are like laughing back there. I love that. I love that. I love it when I'm funny and it works. Okay? And here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say. Is that we got to, I'm living amongst boxes. I'm in, in between. And maybe you know what it's like to live in the in-between. Maybe there's somebody here who understands what it's like to feel like it's not now, God, but it's also not yet. You're in between, you're like life in the hallway. It's like, I'm, try, I'm going from one door, I'm trying to open the next. It's the now, in between the now and the not yet. It's like, it's, it, it is coming. God's building it, he's working, he's doing something, but I'm not in the fulfillment or the fruition of it yet. And so I find myself not realizing it just yet, so I'm having to wait. And in that waiting season of the in-between, see, it's important that you stay standing. That you don't lose and wane in your faith. Allow your, faint, your faith to grow faint. Or let more so your fight. So he finds himself in a hidden season where there's a cutting because he needs to leave some things and he needs to cleave to one thing, and his name is Jesus. And in this cleaving, God in the waiting causes him to hold on real tight, stay real close to God. Because the cutting will, the cleaving is about staying close. And he brings him to Zarephath, which is refined faith. It means faith under fire. It means refining by fire. And this is where I told you Elijah is provided for 
by a widowed woman. And you have to understand, this stage of the process of a promise is called the humbling stage. That's real humble pie to have to go ask someone to provide for you who's worse off than you. It's like when I get up as the man of God and ask some of you who I know are in tight situations and some of you frown upon it who are doing well because thinking, how could this guy always ask for people's money knowing that some people are in the situations they're in? And this is where I am the man of God living in the humbling stage like Elijah was saying, what do you do when a leader asks you for something you don't feel you even have the means to provide for yourself? It's biblical, just so you know. And you're gonna dig deep and you gotta understand that's a, the hidden stage, but then the humbling stage. And God wants to humble you in the process of the promise so that you understand if he had supplied your needs through the richy rich, if he had supplied your needs through like, you know, I don't know, someone wealthy, someone rich, you wouldn't have necessarily seen God as the provider of that. You would have saw Richie Rich as the provider of that. And you would have been like super humbled by Richie Rich rather than understanding that God is the God who wants to show himself to you who he is. See, refining seasons are defining seasons for God. When your faith comes under fire, don't freak out because your faith was actually made for the fire. I want you to know that. Look through the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and who shows up in the fire but the fourth man. See, your faith was actually made for fiery furnaces. And some of you are like, no, there's a heat resistance. Keep away from heat. No, your faith is alive. Throw it into the fire if you want. You're going to come out looking even smelling even better. You won't smell like the environment or the circumstance. You're going to come out because the fourth man is in your fire. He wants to, the refining is a defining season for you where he wants to reveal who he is. And he's not going to reveal who he is if you think Richie Rich is the one who provided for you. So he says, go to, the, go to the poor. The poorest of the poor in this whole society was a widow woman because they weren't allowed to provide for themselves in that capacity. They would have to scrounge and look at scraps and find it through the trash and the bin and the corners of some man's field that who would have graciously allowed a little bit to be left for the poor like her because a man wasn't there to provide for her. I know that some of you are like, in our context of society, you think, how sexist. No, that was just all of society back then. This is contextual, hermeneutical interpretation. You understand? This is the way life was back then. And it wasn't a Christian mindset. This was a, like, societal mindset. As a matter of fact, I just want to, I, I do want to say this just for those her heretics out there and those haters who want to point the finger and say that Christians are the ones who suppress women. Did you know that in the Middle East, it's only where Paul preached the gospel that women are liberated today? So, Put that up your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I just want you to know, ladies, we are for you 110%. And the fact that a man has to say that from a church platform is embarrassing. Praise the Lord. Let's move on. So, my point is, my point is, is that in that season of Zarephath, the refining season, God wanted to find himself. And guess what he did? He, the woman's son dies. And so he's like, what? And so he raises the son from the dead. Do you remember that? And she goes, I can surely see that you're a man of God. Do you remember that? He went from Elijah the Tishbite to now where people perceive you differently. Whoa, I can see the anointing. I, I know that God's appointed you, but now I can see that God's anointed you. And you understand how important perception is for you to operate in the function that God has for you. If people do not perceive you, they will not receive you in the way that God has said you are, who you are. 
And that's all right. If they don't right now, they don't perceive you for who God says you are. Don't worry, just keep showing them who you are and keep being faithful with what God has put in your hand and they will eventually see it. So don't get all your knickers tied up in knots right now because they don't perceive it. But I want you to understand that even Jesus in Mark chapter two, when he went to his hometown, they said, is this not just Jesus? the son of the carpenter. And it says, because all they saw him was the son of a carpenter, a woodworking dude, they said, well, clearly you can't perform miracles. You ain't God in the flesh. And so he says, was, it was says about Jesus, he was unable. He could not, it, said, it didn't say he would not. It says he could not perform miracles in that hometown of his, of his hometown. What was the problem? Perceptions. Everywhere else is an amazing, the prophet is honored everywhere but in his hometown. So the problem was, is that he wasn't able to do the thing he was called to do because of the perception of people. Elijah's perceptions, people started to perceive him in light of who he really was. And then he gets the caramel, which means fruitful. And he has this a moment late. See, when God brings you through the process of a, of a promise, he brings you to the hidden stage, the humbling stage, but then he'll bring you through the high end stage. I just made that up. Hopefully that goes with all the H's that I just kind of threw out there. I made that up, so that's cool. I feel good about that, okay? Um, but he lifts you up to a high place. And he brings you on the pinnacle. This is, caramel could be, it's called, it means fruitful. It means you, you become fruitful. You become successful. You become significant. And he causes a, a showdown between prophets of Baal and God. And because how long will you waver between the two opinions? If God is God, then you serve him. If God is this, then then serve him. If their God is God, serve him. If God is God, serve him. And he says, whoever God answers by fire. And so he wets the wood of the altar. He pours out all the water that they have left. And you wanna know why he would do such a thing? Is because he wanted to make sure that they, they proved their identity, their dependence upon him, upon God. Their dependency was fully on God. It was fully put on the fact that they were in a drought. They had no water left, folks. So he poured all of the water out. Now, how would he have, he had the, how would he have known to do such a thing? What was he trying to do for the nation of Israel to, to wake them up? Sometimes you can do a shake-up if you want to wake up. Sometimes you got to be all in, and you got to force everyone else all in if you want to wake them up, because it's it's it shakes you, but it also equally wakes you. How do you wake someone up? You shake them. And God will sometimes, I'm here, I'm prophesying. God, you might be in a season where God is shaking you, but I believe that God is trying to wake you in that shaking. And he's trying to awaken you to something that he's trying to do in your life. And, and this is what happens. He pours out the water. And how would he have known to do that? Well, he would never have had the faith to do that had he not gone through Kareth where he dried up the water and learned that it is not by bread alone that, li the, that man lives by, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so he learned how to truly walk by faith and actually create a faith environment for everyone else to then step into as well. You can't go where, you can't lead the people where you've not gone yourself, you see? And so he leads them into this deliverance and God answers by fire. But the, the, the thing is, I don't know if you knew that wet wood isn't exactly a burning agent. But the wet wood, you see, he created an impossible situation and it proved the presence of God to the people. You know, this last season of our church was a season where, as an executive team who were on the front lines, and for those of you who were a ways back, had the bleacher seats, you know? It did something in the life of our team where we created an impossible situation. For those of you who know the circumstances, an impossible situation, where God came through in such a way where it was miraculous. It literally was miraculous. The days that we're living in are miraculous. 
It is not the outcome that any one man could have engineered. It was, see, transition seasons where God is transitioning you in the process of a promise. You have to understand that he'll create impossible situations that are outside of your ability to control because transitional seasons are marked by your ability to not control it. And so when you're in transition where God is taking you from point A to point B, I, I came here to say something to somebody because I feel like this, I've been like mulling it over and I gotta say it. Some of you are in a transition season right now where God has hidden you and he's humbled you, but he's gonna release you into a high place where the, 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 the private devotion is gonna show itself in public victory. He's gonna show the process of refining and what it's done to purify what God is doing in you. And so eventually, maybe not initially, but eventually you're gonna walk into something that everyone else is gonna know. They're gonna see. So you don't have to worry about trying to tell everybody what God is doing. God will show it true. Don't worry. You don't have to market yourself. If you're marked, you don't need to market yourself. God will do it. And so here's what I'm trying to say is that he comes in this place in the transition. You understand that some of you like, the womb, you've outgrown your environment. Like in the womb, could you imagine a child, a mother says, no, I don't want to give birth to this child right now. And equally the child is thinking, well, it's pretty good. I'm sheltered from all the elements. I got music played to me. People tickle me, you know, and they poke me. And I, I don't even have to do anything. Like I don't even have, no wiping butts in here. It's just all tales of the self. You know, like this is a good environment. But you've grown too big for that environment. And if you stay, you're going to kill the host, the mother. And you won't be able to be delivered in good health on the other side. And so there comes a window of opportunity, a kairos moment, a season where a, a window of opportunity opens and you have to pass through. And you are forced. And it's not always enjoyable, is it? The squeeze gets on. As a matter of fact, I remember when my Finley was born, she was bruised all over her face. And I was like, oh, shoot, it looks like she went through it. And, you know, some of you are judging people. Can I just say? Some of you are judging some people in your life who have gone through a transition. Because they're a little bit bruised. And you're judging them, and yet you have no idea what they actually went through. They shouldn't have survived that. If you know, you'd be like, holy cow. Like, it's amazing. And the reality is that don't judge some people because they're bruised a little bit because of what they went through. Because of what they had to pass through. Because it was a transition. You see, and they're here. And they're on the side and they're doing well. And just give it three months, they're going to look beautiful, okay? They look a little conehead when they come out. They look a little disfigured and a little funny looking, all right? But don't worry, all right? They just need a bath and they need to be loved, okay? Here's my point. He goes through this whole season and then he gets to this point where God shows up by fire and he, he wets this wood. He creates an impossible situation. And some of you are living in an impossible situation right now. Some of you find yourself in an impossible, like how could God ever, re, 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 like how could he ever reverse this curse? How could he ever mend this relationship? How could I ever see an opportunity now that this has taken place? God, how could you ever save my child some of you don't believe in the de devil. It's because you've never had kids. <laughs> so you're praying deeply for your children. You know, you're thinking, God, help me. You know, I'm kidding. Uh, my point is, is that he's got this impossible situation and God comes through and all the people are like, whoa, okay, this is like, wow. And they fall to their knees and they basically, God is God. And they all turn their hearts toward God. 
So there's this waking that happens. This is like a picture, just so you know, of the cross, where Jesus took on all the fire, the judgment of heaven upon himself. It was an impossible situation that he should never have rose from. But God in a moment, you see the allegory, the picture here? God in a moment. How long will you waver? The cross was the divider. It was a thing to turn all the hearts of men back, and, and women back to God the Father. It was the, the, that, that separating, that this showdown. It was like the, the pinnacle. It was an Old Testament like kind of a picture of what was to come. And, and God shows up in fire and this miracle takes place and all the people turn their heart back to God. And so then, as you know, he's been living in a drought. And so Elijah goes, it's time. And he goes, and this is what he says. He says, then Elijah commanded, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any one of them away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, the king, now go eat and drink for there is a sound of a heavy rain. For there's the sound of a heavy rain. There's the sound of a heavy rain. I love the faith of Elijah. And for some of you, you didn't even pick that up yet. Don't worry. In this, there's all kinds of little nuggets for us here today. But he says, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off and ate and drank. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, that place of fruitfulness, and bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And he says, now, he said to his servant, go look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked, but there was nothing there. And he said seven times to Elijah, seven times Elijah said to the servant, go back, go back. And every time he came back, there's nothing. Go back, there's nothing. Go back, there's nothing. Go back, there's nothing. Go back, there's nothing. And remember, Elijah said, it's going to rain up my word. Well, at his word, it dried up. But he's like, oh, shoot. What do you do when you got to release it now and show the people that God was in this? He's like, oh, shoot. Like, I need them to see this, right? And so he says, go back, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, I see a cloud. There's a cloud. As small as a man's hand rising from the sea, Elijah said, awesome. Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. Go down before the rain stops. In other words, the rain's coming right now. Go down before the rain stops you. And so it says that he did so. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose. A heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came to Elijah, tucking his cloak in his belt and ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Three things I want to give you here today. Three things I want to give you. I've already given you three. I spent a lot of time on the front end of my message giving you the, the hiding, the humbling, and the, and the high place. See, God, don't worry, he'll... He'll have you. He'll deliver you from the situation. You gotta be faithful to the process because the process, as far as any factory line, process guarantees product. Well, in the, in, the, in the eyes of God, process guarantees promise. If you stay faithful to the process, God will stay faithful to the promise, I promise. <laughs> and so what happens is he comes to this place, but there's a place now where he needs this faith. See, in this transition, they're going from drought into rain into being drenched, from drenched, from drought to drenched. And he's transitioning the people of God once again in a transitional season. It kind of sounds a lot like our season. Kind of sounds a lot like the season that our community has gone through. It's a season where God is now saying it's time to run. How do you get things up and running? How do you get things up and running? Well, you got to survive a few stages along the process of a promise. Number one is you got to learn not to, to rely on a supply. You see what I did there? That is not God. Any sources that you think God's going to deliver it through, I, I, it kind of sounds familiar to our journey, doesn't it? Any brands or names that you think is going to be the way that God does it. He says, no, no, I'm going to cut out the things that you think are going to deliver it because I'm going to do it. It's like, right. 
And then he's going to humble you. And then he's going to bring you to a high place. But then if you're going to see the, the dream come to fruition, you've got to overcome three stages of faith that you're going to have to overcome. And number one, it's this. It's the invisible stage. Because in the beginning, faith is invisible. In the beginning stages of faith, you have to understand when you have a dream from God, it starts as a sense before it's ever a sight. Elijah says, all right, it's time. And it's, you see, where did he get his time? Did God give him a letter? Did God come down, open up the heavens, open up a portal and say, hey, Elijah, I didn't hear any of that in the scripture. So where did he get this moment of time where it's like, it's time? See, I believe that when it's time, the way the saints of God often know is because it's a gut feeling. It's this deep sense in your spirit that begins to take place where I get it, visually, what you're seeing will stand contrary to what you're sensing. There's what you're seeing and what you're sensing, and they will be at odds with one another. And this is so much so that in the beginning, if you don't understand the invisibility stage of faith, you'll under, you, then you won't understand this because you understand when you have a dream and aspiration and you start talking about it, at the start, it's nothing. What did the servant say? He came back and said, there is, come on everybody, he came back and said, there is, nothing. there is nothing. And in the beginning phases of our, of our faith, there is nothing. See, whenever you start in faith, it always feels like nothing. And I wonder if there's anybody here that's in the nothing stage. It's in the nothing stage. There's no thing to be seen. See, I'm grateful for people who joined us and joined themselves to Jules and I when there was nothing. When there was a room in a living room and thinking this is gonna be a nation-changing, planet-shaking, history-making church. And there was eight of us in the middle of some lady's living room in Bar Haven, which anyone who knows about Bar Haven, can anything good come from Bar Haven? You know what I'm saying? For some of you, that's Far Haven or Barf Haven. But don't worry. I'm sorry. Come on, we love Barf Haven. The front row's like, babe, babe. I'm, no, I'm just going to keep going now. <laughs> I live in Barf Haven right now, so just so you know. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just playing. Y'all need to lighten up, man. <laughs> Here's my point. In that place of invisibility, there is nothing to see. And yet, when you got a sense, you see. See what I did there? When you got a sense, you are seeing. But not with the natural eyes, you're seeing with the spiritual eyes. What God wants to do in a given situation. Even here in this morning, there's a little bit of a, a, an atmosphere here this morning that I, I felt like we needed to break through a little bit. See, I got a sense of what God wants to do, but I wasn't seeing it in the room. But my sense was seeing. And I wonder if you've got a sense, any one of you, with an aspiration of what God wants to do with your life, what he wants to do with your business, what he wants to do with your family, what he wants to do with your marriage, what he wants to do with your kids. What do you, is, is there a sense, I would encourage you, that not forfeit your faith and resign it because you don't see anything right now. This is the moment where you understand that faith is forged in the nothing stage because faith is the evidence of things not seen. 
And I came here to give somebody a word that if God is in your nothing, that nothing is impossible with God. So if you've got nothing right now, I just came here to give a word of encouragement to somebody that says, don't you let that nothing shake you. Don't let your haters laugh and mock you. You stay faithful in the nothing stage. And you, here's what I think is very interesting about Elijah, is he refused. See, believe in God for something and seeing nothing. He refused to look. He said, I won't look. He sent a runner instead. Because, and why, why would he do that? Because I believe that, see, Elijah used his ears, not his eyes. He refused to go look himself, maybe because he knew that if he used his eyes, his whole faith would die in the moment because it was nothing. And so sometimes you just gotta not look of what you see. And you need to start declaring what God has been saying and the deep sense that you have. Father, I just declare over this house that I sense the sound of a heavy rain. I sense the sound of a heavy rain. And while some of you may scoff, some of you may laugh, I came here to declare to you today that you may see nothing, but I have a sense. I have a sense. And I don't need my sight to dictate my sense. I don't need my eyes to tell me what my ears already know. I refuse to let my eyes deter what my ears already know. I hear the sound, Elijah said. The sound. See, he didn't say, I see the sight. He says, I hear the sound. Faith starts as a sound. It's a sound from heaven. And some of you, there is a sense that I'm going to make it. There's a sense I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to get that breakthrough. There's a sense that my kid is not going to have a turnaround. There's a sense that says my marriage is not just going to survive. I'm going to thrive. Because you understand, Elijah was a refugee. All he had done is run and hide for the last three and a half years. He wasn't used to thriving. This guy hadn't thrived in years. And all of a sudden, God, now he's declaring something different. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to thrive. I'm not going to survive. I'm going to thrive. I'm about to swim in a sea of water. I, and, but, but I don't see anything. So he refused to look, and he had his head between his knees in a weird prayer posture. But I believe the posture was there to kind of show us something. I'm going to call it weird, because that's weird. What are you putting your, it's like some kind of yoga move, all right? It's like, I can't even do that, John. Let's see. I can touch my toes, so praise the Lord. Uh, all right? I don't need to go to the gym yet, all right? But... As soon as I can't touch my toes, I'll be there, okay? Um, but here's my point. Is that though there was nothing, he didn't allow it to deter him. Just because you can't see it didn't mean that God didn't say it. So you need to listen and not look. And maybe the, he needs to get a runner because he didn't want what he was seeing to at all affect the faith in his heart. I wonder if you had a look, a little sneak peek before it was time. And if your faint has grown faint, I came here to encourage someone with the word of the Lord today. Stop looking, start listening. What is the Lord saying to you? What does the Lord say to you? 
then start declaring it until you see it. Go back. You say, go, but there's nothing. Then go back. There's nothing. Go back. There's nothing. Go back. I came here to say, don't you dare stop what God has started. There's nothing. But you say, it hasn't even started. There's no sight. No, it started. It's a sense. It's not a sight. And it started. So don't you stop what God has started. Declare it. Because I came here to tell something that nothing is impossible with God. The second stage that you are going to have to overcome if you're going to see your faith yield results is the insignificant stage. Some of you have invisible stage. But once you graduate from the invisible stage where it becomes a sense, it becomes a sight. And so the, the seventh time, the runner goes back and he goes, actually, Elijah, yo, uh, there is something. There's something? What is it? There's a, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand rising up. So there's some, okay, wait. So there's not nothing, but it's not much. It's not nothing, but it's not much. And my point to somebody here today is that some of you despise small beginnings. You don't celebrate them like Elijah did or like the Lord does. The Lord says, do not despise small beginnings. The Lord loves the beginning. You know, powerful things start small. You say, what great men were born in this city? It's like, nobody, just babies. Because everything starts small. And some of us can't see great, the, the, the oak tree in seedling form. We can't see the significance in seed form. But yet everything you need pertaining to life and godliness is packed in that little seed of life found in Christ. The seed of his word. It's all there. And if you put it to exercise, God's, the Bible says you, the Lord declares his word, it will never return to him void. It will accomplish that which it was sent out to perform. And so I came here to declare to somebody today that though it's not much, though it's little, it's little is much when God is in it. So it's insignificant. Yeah? So what? So that, so how, see here's what I know. Some of you have found yourself in a season of insignificance. What is in your hand, you feel is insignificant. What God has, where God has positioned you, you feel is background, insignificant. It's not what you have in your heart. And so this is how the enemy is gonna come at you in this season of insignificance. If he can get you to believe that what you have in your hand is insignificant, it'll get you to quit your assignment. All along, not realizing that, that was, you need to turn to your neighbor right now and say, this is significant. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is significant. This is significant. The devil doesn't want you to see the significance of what is you're working on, what's in your hand, because he can get you to leave your assignment. It's, it, the way he gets you to is to convince you that whatever is in your hand and what you're working on doesn't matter. It may look small, but it's a start. And my start is significant. I'm speaking to my youth ministry that aren't all here right now, but our youth ministry is small right now, but it's significant. You say, but it's not 200, it's not 300, it's not 500. I'm like, who cares? You started. And we got like 25, 30 kids coming out. Somebody give God a clap of praise and say, you better start to run and prepare your chariot because it, I don't want the rain to stop you because it's about to get so crazy up in here. See, because that's all I need. You know, one day the Lord gave me a little puny youth ministry in Vanity. This is how my whole ministry started. And I'll never forget, I got given a junior high ministry lead. 
And at the time, there was three other age groups. And I walked through the group, and I said, the Lord just gave me the whole church. And they were like, what? And I remember one dude in particular, he's a pro golfer. He looked at me and scoffed and said, what are you talking about? You've been given junior highs. I said, no, I've been given the entire dream because I'm now in the market. You know, when I own my house, I'm now in the market. And now I'm in. So you all better look out those Empire Trump buildings. I'm coming for you because I'm in the market. And how many guys know you're now in the market? God just gave you the dream. It might be small. It might be insignificant. It might not be much. But little is much in the eyes of God. He could take that jawbone and kill a thousand Philistines. He could take that little lunch bag of two fish and five loaves of bread. And he could feed five million people with it. How many of you guys know? It might just be a little bit of oil. But how many of you guys, it ain't going to run out. It's going to run over in Jesus' name. It might just be a little bit. That might just be a little baby in a manger. But he's going to divide history itself and change time itself. He's going to change millennium. Come on, somebody. It may be small, but it's not insignificant. So I came here to declare to somebody today, the hand of faith is rising up in your life. God's hand of faith, the cloud of his glory is rising up. And it may be small right now. But if you'll steward it, don't stop, steward. If you'll begin to position yourself and run and understand the signs of the times, you understand that my church, you have no idea what I'm declaring over here. This is so much bigger than us. You have no idea. I hear the sound of a heavy rain. And while right now you might not be running just yet, but I'm just saying God's about to get things up and running around here. And I declare it, God, you're about to get things up and running around here. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, God's about to get things up and running around here. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, God's about to get things up and running around here today. Come on, turn your other neighbor and say, God's about to get things up and running around here today. The last stage, the enemy can't kill your faith in the invisible stage. And if you survive the invisible stage and you embrace the insignificant stage, when you graduate the insignificant stage and you begin to see that thing gain momentum, when your ministry gains momentum, guess what happens? The vulnerability of the first two stages is on, it's palpable, let me just tell you. But if you survive the, the first two, I came here to tell you, get ready, get ready, and get ready. Like Mark chapter 5, when he crossed over, Jesus crossed over to the other side, he left Capernaum, the village of comfort, the city of comfort. When you leave your comfort zone to pursue the call of God, how many of you guys know a storm came to try to stop them from reaching the Gadarenes, the place of the reward at the end? Come on, God, you're required to leave your comfort zone if you want the reward at the end. But how many of you guys know there's always a storm in the middle that tries to stop you from, from grabbing all? Because if God see, and here's the same thing. If God couldn't get Elijah, if the enemy couldn't get Elijah to survive the invisible stage, if he couldn't stop him in the insignificant stage, then he's going to have to punch him right in his purpose. And he tried to kill him in the intimidation phase. What happened? He ran ahead to Jezreel 
And he for sure thought that King Ahab and equally Queen Jezebel would have repented from their sins. He for sure, after three and a half years of showdowns and the faithfulness of God and in this display of God's power, surely she would have repented and had a change of heart. While the whole nation, he's floating and swimming in success. This guy's got the book tour and filling out the Nokia Center. This guy is, Elijah has now become a prominent preacher. He is now a man of God, not just in a few people's eyes, and a few people know it, the whole nation knows it. And yet he's thinking, surely I will finally be validated. They'll finally legitimize my ministry, my leaders. King Ahab and Jezebel are gonna repent. He gets there, gets to her door, and one of the servants comes out. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, it says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of those that you killed. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. May, may your life, in other words, may your head on a platter, as one of the versions said, by this time tomorrow night. She sent death threats. This deranged woman sends a death threat. And I just want to end this talk here today, the intimidation phase, because if you survive the first two, you understand, if the enemy can't stop you, he's going to try to attack you, to persecute you. He's going to try to, and he, hopefully the persecution, the intimidation, while he has no means. See, after the cross, how many of you guys know the enemy has nothing on you but a loud bark? See, because every weapon formed against me shall not prosper, for this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. How many of you guys know he, he can't touch you? Because at the cross, the, the, Jesus dealt with anything that could be used against you. And in his body, he was punished and put to death so that not one, the enemy has no weaponry, no ability to accuse, all he can do is accuse you. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. But the only way he can accuse you is if you don't know your rights as a believer to understand he has no means to touch you. And so my point is, after the cross, after Carmel, this deranged woman sends a threat, but understand she knows as, full, as much as anybody else she has no ability to touch this man. He just single-handedly killed 850 prophets of Baal by himself. He led them to the slaughter. Who was this one deranged woman, a wicked witch from the Wild West, that thought she had ability to stand up against him? She knew she didn't. She was, it was fear tactic. It was a strategy not to kill him, but to contain him. And if the enemy can contain you from your calling, while he might not be able to stop it from raining and from blessing you, God blessing you, hopefully he can keep you in a corner long enough to make you ineffective and render you ineffective. I wonder what they've said about you. I wonder what scares you. I wonder what is the devil has used to try to contain you and keep you bridled in fear. Because you see, you gotta overcome those fears and understand anything to the cross has to bow its knee has no ability. And so in this moment, it says, Elijah, look what it says. It says, Elijah, it says, was afraid and ran for his life. I think it's fair to say that Jezebel's response meant, I'm just going to read this to you because it'll just preach that much quicker. Jezebel's response meant one thing. She still wasn't done fighting this thing out. Three and a half years into battling this out, and she's still not done even after that. And some of you know what it's like to have great victory and great success. And you're looking for that one leader, that one authority figure, that parent, that teacher to finally legitimize you. And you got the A, and there's a minus in front of it, and all they see is the minus. They refuse no matter how good you do. Doesn't matter how many other people around you think you're a genius. Doesn't matter how many people around you applaud you and celebrate you. You want that one person to acknowledge you. Right? 
And she may have had no leg left to stand on, but that wasn't keeping her from defiantly holding her ground. How did Elijah feel about that? I'm convinced he couldn't do it anymore. He was worn out. He was done fighting. He met his breaking point. He snapped. Now the scriptures tell us that he ran off for fear of his life. Yet I find that incredibly odd, don't you? This guy ran for his life after just defeating by himself 850. Here was a guy that had just single-handedly laid waste to 850 false prophets of Baal. Now we're to believe that he ran off in fear for his life because of an empty threat of a deranged woman. I do not buy it, church. I am far more inclined to believe that Elijah grew fed up with the setup. In other words, he wasn't scared, but rather he scorned the idea. He scorned the idea of having to continue fighting a battle that he thought he'd already won. He wasn't running for his life. I believe he was running from it. Furthermore, if Jezebel truly wanted him dead, then she could have done so quite easily. She could have just sent her dogs at the door to arrest him right there on the spot and bring him in. Could she have not done that? And yet she didn't. So what does that tell you? She knew she couldn't touch him. She knew she couldn't kill him. She would have to simply contain him. And so she sends him running. And she could have had arrested him, not warned him, but she warns him instead. What is that? What is that? Why warn a guy that you could just go and kill? Why not just go do it? Why give him a heads up that you're coming for him? I believe it was a fear tactic to contain. Consider for a moment that in 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah then goes and prays that God would kill him. Just verses later, he says, God, kill me. I can't do it anymore. That doesn't sound like a guy who's out to preserve his life, does it? He wasn't scared. He scorned this whole idea of having to keep battling this woman who would defiantly keep going and not give up. And I believe that equally, it was an attempt to try to get him to cave, which as you know, he ran off in fear for his life, left everyone behind, isolated himself, and he truly caved and gave in to that fear. And found himself in a cave and God shows up. See, the intimidation stage is a stage where the enemy tries to punch you in your purpose and tries to make you sit down. But I came here to tell somebody, stay standing because he's got no, he's got no thing on you. He's got nothing, because nothing is impossible with the one who called you. He will start it and he will complete it. God has come faithful to start and to complete that which he started in you. And so like, how many of you guys know that the, the enemy can't stop you? He can't stop what the Lord has started. He will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Come on somebody, if you believe that with me here today, and if you've been encouraged by this word. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit MyChurchCanada.com.